Think you hate marketing? Think again. Here on the Marketing Chat Podcast, I share practical, relatable tips to make marketing easy and fun. I'm Kelly, a marketing strategist, Squarespace website designer, and founder of the Women Podcasters Academy. I'll be breaking down big ideas into actionable steps so you can get moving with your marketing with way less stress and way more fun. Today's episode is brought to you by the Women Podcasters Academy. The Academy features a full course and supportive community to help you start and grow your own podcast. You can find more information at womenpodcastersacademy.com. Welcome. I am so happy y'all are here today. I am interviewing a Harvard classmate, and she has such a fascinating career path that I'm sure a lot of y'all can relate to, you fellow entrepreneurs. It is not circuitous. No, it is circuitous. It is not in a straight line. And she is a multi-passionate entrepreneur, which I know y'all can relate to, like I can. So I am welcoming Zaria Rubin, Dr. Zaria Rubin, who is a Harvard-educated physician and CEO of Wild Lilac Wellness, a boutique online functional medicine health coaching practice where she helps passionate women in midlife get to the root cause of their chronic health issues so they can reduce symptoms, heal from the inside out, and truly thrive. She's also a dedicated environmental wellness advocate and has partnered with the Clean Beauty B Corp Beauty Counter to help educate women on choosing safer products and change our outdated laws that don't protect women's health. She's a mom, foodie, opera singer, New York Times spelling bee aficionado, and world traveler. She lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband, eight-year-old daughter, Bichon Miniature Poodle, two lop bunnies, and bearded dragon. Welcome, Zaria. I am so happy that you're here. Thank you, Kelly. It's, it sounds like I run a zoo over here, which I pretty much do, but <laughs> <laughs> literally and figuratively. Uh, so I wish that we had known each other at Harvard, but I am so psyched to see you at the reunion in a few weeks. I know, me too. It's so funny. All the folks that I'm looking forward to seeing are folks that I have gotten close to over the years that I didn't even know in college, but I met at previous reunions, met online. It's been great. It's it's Yeah. I mean, we're so different. I mean, if we had known each other in college, I don't think you would recognize me. I was a totally different. (laughs) Well, I actually look very similar, oddly enough, but um, I think I had this almost the same haircut at this point. Oh, wow. It's so funny, but, uh, but yeah, like maybe interests and what we were doing Well, I was already dating who is now my first ex-husband and we were like joined at the hip and yeah. Oh yeah. So. I didn't date at all at Harvard. I was a complete, I was pre-med. I was a complete nerd. I, I did, I did sing in choir, which is something that I still do to this day. So some of my interests were similar, you know, medicine, music, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I was not that much fun back then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I was either given that like my enti- entire social life was him and like one other friend whom I am still very close with. Yeah. That was like a yeah. big mistake. 
Yeah, you know, I kept pretty close to my roommate and the two of us, it was kind of us against the world and we're mm-hmm. still in touch. We're still close. Unfortunately, oh. she's not coming to the reunion. I'm so bummed, oh. you know, personal reasons. But um, but yeah, no, I, I wish that I had met more people, done more things, you know, it's all retrospect, you know, all the yeah. things we could have done differently. I wish I could go back and do it all again. I know what you mean. Yeah. But thank goodness for the reunions and for our Facebook group. And you and I are speaking on the same, it's not really panel. I mean, it's going to start out as a panel, but then, you know, Q&A and breaking up into small groups. And the topic is redefining success, finding life's joy and meaning on our own terms. And that's really like so timely and so perfect. And it even fits in with our talk today, you know, because you've really done that. Yeah. I my, you know, if I had to tell 20 year old me, you know, what my path would look like or what my life would look like, I don't know that I would have believed myself. Um, I definitely had a very set fixed idea of what my life was going to look like, of what success looked like. I think that definition was very different back in the early 90s where it was just kind of career, 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 follow a high-powered career. If you do that, you'll be happy. And I think that we learned over time that that's not necessarily true, Um, Mm -hmm. that the things that make us feel successful or bring us joy are not necessarily our job. I mean, it'd be nice if it was our job and our lives, but oftentimes those things are at odds. And that was certainly the case for me where I thought I was pursuing my my passion or my life's work or what was going to be meaningful to me. And it ended up just being more <sighs> detrimental in a way to my physical and mental health. And I ended up having to switch gears numerous times and chart different paths. Wow. And so what kind of physician were you? Yeah. So I actually trained as a neurologist and an epilepsy specialist at Columbia Presbyterian in New York. So I was pretty hardcore. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're going to pick a body part to study, why not pick the brain? That was kind of my rationale for it. And I still stand by that choice in that the brain is fascinating and the disorders are fascinating. And I read all of Oliver Sacks and I studied Actually, at Harvard, one of the things that drew me to epilepsy was um, taking my psychobiology classes and studying patient HM mm-hmm. um, and learning about, you know, epilepsy surgery and the origins of memory and how we learn so much. And But it, it was also so devastating for these patients, all of these things that happen that are fascinating in terms of the neuroanatomy or, you know, the physiology and like, oh, wow, isn't that cool? But when you actually have a patient in front of you or a family in front of you, it became less so for me. And it was, I was very drawn into the emotional aspects of medicine. I'm an empath. I over-identified with everything on a very deep personal level. And it really, I think, just took a toll on me and I ended up burning out pretty quickly in medicine. Um, Just wasn't, just wasn't cut out for it. I, intellectually, it was a good idea, but in terms Mm -hmm. of emotionally and personality wise lifestyle fit. Um, it ended up not being the right thing. 
That makes sense. I concentrated in biological anthropology, which isn't even a thing there anymore. It's now just evolutionary biology. And one of the classes that I took was on the brain and language. And so we studied a lot of those issues. And of course, Oliver Sacks and uh, different aphasias and ataxias, even though that wasn't language, we still, you know, got into a lot of that. And it is fascinating. You're sitting there just wide eyed and going, oh my God, this is so cool. And then you watch videos. I mean, you obviously, you know, were working in person with people, but for us, you know, we would watch videos and like, oh gosh, real people. That's yeah. so interesting. I wish I had taken that class. Had, had I known about that class, I, d- I didn't know because I actually did take a linguistics class at mm. Harvard. That was one of my favorite classes. Yeah. And I also was studying language. I was studying German in college, and then I mm. went on to study Spanish. And I studied mm. well, before that. I studied Russian. I was so languages. Are I did a year of Russian. Yeah, I mean, I did some Russian at, at McGill as a oh okay a continuing ed class. Um, yeah, when I was bored. This is after I ended up going to opera school and then dropping yeah. out of opera school and then deciding <laughs> I needed something to stimulate my brain. So I thought, yeah. why not try Russian? You know, of course, yeah. that makes sense, right? Go from Russian awesome. to opera to Russian. Logical yeah. progression that everyone does. Yeah. Russian's a very cool language. It is, but it's so difficult. I thought German was hard with the four cases. No, no. Russian has like what, seven. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Very tough. And not I just conjugating, people. yeah, verbs, but declining the nouns and it yeah. But you know, similar to Latin in that way. So Yeah, I never took Latin. It that was a show uh, that was never offered at my high school. So yeah. I'm sure I would have enjoyed it. But yeah, no, I love I love languages. It's one of my other passions, I guess, because that ties in with travel. I've always, you know, love traveling. I think, well, I don't know, my parents took me traveling around the world when I was a baby for a year. The first year of my life was spent in the back of a Volkswagen, you know, VW van, um, tooling around Europe with my, with my parents. Maybe that's why I became a foodie, was eating all this great food, was listening to all these different languages. And so I've just always had a passion for travel and for wanting to really connect and communicate with people when I traveled and not necessarily wanting to be a tourist and mm-hmm. and just stand out and just be like oh you don't speak the language you don't fit in I was always trying to fit in <laughs> yeah. and so much yeah. to my success and detriment I had really great ear for language so I could always pick it up really quickly and had a great accent so people would often think I was local but then very quickly they would find out the limits of my vocabulary and then they would think I was just either being rude or ignorant or something. And then I just would have to explain, no, no, I'm not from here. No, I'm Canadian. Leave me alone. <laughs> they all just look at me like I was crazy. That definitely happened in a few countries. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, that has happened to me too. Whenever I travel to a different country, if I don't already know the language, I teach myself enough of it to get along. Yes. And, and yes, I can pick up the accent And so a few years ago, my oldest daughter and I went to Budapest and talking to, that's the hardest language I've ever learned. The hardest, because it's not related to anything. It's like the bottom of the tree on its own branch in the language tree. Right. (laughs) Yes. And so a waiter was asking me, 
why do you know? Or, you know, it asked me something. I'm like, no, I'm American. And why do you know Hungarian? <laughs> you have family here? I'm like, no, we we're coming here. So of course I learned Hungarian. Of course, now I've forgotten it because it's of been Of course, years. all I knew I think is Egeshege today. You used to learn uh, yes, no. Please, thank you. Do you have a room? Can I get a beer? And I don't speak X. Oh. Uh, Okay. And do you speak English? I think right. e phrases, it goes a long way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I know. All I right. miss travel. I miss traveling, right? Yes. Don't we all? Yes, I certainly do. Oh, moving back slowly into it, though. Thank goodness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very slowly. So, um, you bring a very unique perspective to wild lilac wellness, having been yeah. a physician. And it's based on functional medicine, right? Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about that, please? Sure. Exactly yeah, yeah. what I you do it's... and... Yeah. Like... Sirens out here. Oh. It's <laughs> in Portland, Oregon. No, right. um, yeah. So it's a, it's a term that gets tossed around a lot. And I think a lot of people are curious about it. There's not necessarily a lot of understanding. Certainly when I was in medicine, it was just kind of coming of age. Some of the pioneers of functional medicine, like Mark Hyman, Jeffrey Bland, and they, they were all around and starting, but I wasn't so tuned into it. Integrative medicine was starting also mm-hmm. with Dr. Andrew Weil and I kind of wished I had gone down that path in, in medical school, but it was just, I was just kind of like a little, little too soon to quite figure it out. Um, but I'm really grateful that I came to it later in my career. Um, and I actually came at it through health coaching first. I Mm -hmm. first studied integrative nutrition at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York. And I think that was a wonderful program and it was, it was great for learning all the ins and outs of coaching and nutrition and kind of the food as medicine concept, which I think is really important, but I wanted to go deeper and I wanted to do more. I mean, I was recommending things like drinking more water and eating more greens and, you know, getting some fresh air, exercising. These are all wonderful core foundational principles of health. But as a physician, I was like, there's got to be more that I can do to help people and without prescribing drugs and what is the the bridge of this gap between conventional Western medicine and just kind of basic tenets of, of health coaching and, and, you know, foundations of good health and good yeah. diet. And then I discovered, well, there's this whole branch of functional medicine that basically focuses on integrating the body as a whole in terms of all of its systems. So one of the foundational principles of functional medicine is that everything is interconnected and that if you have a problem in your toe, it might be a toe problem or it might be a gut problem or it, mm-hmm. you know, and so you don't necessarily go see a toe doctor. You approach, like, I think medicine has become so subspecialized, which is valuable in certain areas for certain conditions for sure. But in terms of promoting overall health and wellness, I think it really has done us a disservice to parse things up so much. So functional medicine tries to bring it all back together. It also looks at at the person as an integrated whole within their environment. So in terms of stress levels, diet, toxin exposure, you know, we say in functional medicine that almost everything 
there's of course exceptions and genetics play a large role right. in health and disease, but crap food, toxins, and stress. Mm. And if we can address those three things separately and in concert, then we can hopefully restore some health and wellness. We can promote health and wellness and practice more preventative medicine, which is something that I wish we had learned in medical school. And I wish we did as a, as a society, as a nation, as a, as a global society as well. It's just so important to try to prevent things rather than treat things after the horse is out of the barn. Yeah. Build a better barn door. Right. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. So I love that concept of functional medicine. It's also very big on like puzzle piecing and Mm. getting at the root cause of things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a symptom is, is just that it's a symptom. It's not a diagnosis and you have to go deeper and take a look and see, well, what might be causing this and what might this be related to? And you just kind of go back and back and back and back as far as you can go, maybe even down to the biochemistry of it which is another really neat thing about functional medicine is that sometimes there are these recommendations like, oh, take this for this, or oh, take magnesium for this. And you don't know why, but in functional medicine, you go back and you look at the chemical equations and things and the pathways and you say, oh, magnesium is a cofactor in this particular enzymatic reaction or in this particular conversion of this hormone. And so of course that makes sense that if you don't have enough magnesium, this is going to happen and then Mm. this is going to happen and then this is going to happen and then you're going to get a headache. Yeah. And so rather than here's an aspirin or here's the Tylenol, Mm. it's going back and saying, okay, well, everything everything is a message. Everything that your body sends you is a message. So pain is a message. Pain is a gift, we say sometimes. Like it causes you to pay attention and it causes mm-hmm. you to look further and look deeper. So we really go deep. We look at the basics. We look at the biochemistry. And then, you know, there's also a misconception, I think, in functional medicine that all we do is prescribe supplements or, mm. thing, you know, that it's just you substitute a prescription med for a supplement. And I think that's kind of a bad rap that functional medicine gets sometimes. I had that misconception mm. or that all we do is order a bunch of lab tests and then mm. prescribe supplements, you know, as a result of that. And I think that would be using the medical model right. as the approach to functional medicine, which is not what I do. And it's not what most of us do. If you're, you know, really trying to do it the right way and be yeah. well-versed and steeped in the science of it and the joy mm. of really piecing it all together and helping this individual, because everyone, we also view each patient, each client as an individual, you know, ecosystem And what's going to work for one person is not necessarily going to work for another person. You could have five people with the same symptoms and five different causes or five people with the same origin and five different manifestations. So Mm -hmm. it's really important to keep an open mind about that. And wow, this is a long answer to a short question, but it's not a simple question in terms of- No, of course not. What is functional medicine and why do we do what we do? And Mm -hmm. yeah, so I really enjoy it. I've seen mostly women and- Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've got all of our challenges and hormonal challenges and yeah. challenges with taking on so much. I think as women, we, we stress ourselves and we believe we can do it all. And we believe mm-hmm. if I just keep pushing, mm-hmm. um, oh, I can handle it. And, mm-hmm. oh, I have a really high tolerance for stress. It's something that we're proud of, you know, but yeah. I actually encourage people to lower their tolerance 
to stress and to become more aware of when they're getting stressed and to try to address that and nip that in the bud mm-hmm. rather than let it escalate and continue further. And, you know, the things that worked in your 20s and 30s are not the things that are going to work in your 40s and 50s. Yeah. Yeah. And and at this age, I see actually a, a lot of midlife women finally saying, enough of the bullshit. Enough is Fuck enough. Fuck that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You know, they just... Absolutely. Yeah, they're and, you know, you're going they're through ch- hormonal shifts, and you're yeah. you know from ovarian focus of hormonal production to more adrenal focus, and your adrenals are also the glands that produce stress hormones. So mm-hmm. enough really is enough, and yeah. you know we're like, no, I, this is not it's not going to fly anymore. This crap is not going to work, and yeah. my tolerance for bullshit is way down. Yeah. And just you gotta just. Listen to yourself, listen to your body, trust your intuition, mm-hmm. take breaks, rest when, you, when you're when you tired instead of pushing yeah. through it. You know, if yeah. we could just teach women that earlier on, I think we prevent <sighs> a lot of stress-related illness, a lot of burnout. I mean, we see record levels mm-hmm. of burnout um, in, in women and especially women in, in medicine and health True. professions, especially now, like burnout's True. at an all-time high. So we need to really address that. Yeah. Hopefully these younger generations, I don't know about millennials, but maybe much younger you know, baby millennials and the, yeah, and the Zoomer. Yeah, true. Jeez, and yeah. Yeah, the Zoomers. Hopefully they're doing it differently. So I think so. I think they've yeah. they've seen what happened with that with you know boomers and with Gen X and yeah. it's not pretty. <laughs> And, and they realize that they do need to do it differently. We all Mm -hmm. need to do it differently. You know, the planet needs to do it differently. I mean, it's just, there's a lot that needs to, yeah, to change. So, yeah. So I definitely want to talk. Yeah. So I definitely want to talk about your environmental and wellness focus uh, and like, you know, beauty. But first let me ask you, because I skipped over getting into entrepreneurship. Mm, yeah. So what was that like, you know, making that decision? You know, it was not necessarily a decision that I made rationally or logically. It was more out of necessity that, mm-hmm. so let me put it this way. Throughout my life, I had always chosen my path and the next step based on what kind of success I wanted or what kind of career I wanted. Um, I wanted to be very successful. I wanted to be a career woman. I wanted to be a physician. I wanted to be, you know, respected, high powered, this, that, the other thing I want. I, I was, then I ended up being a pharmaceutical executive and, you know, it's like, oh, I was always chasing kind of the career and the brass ring and all of that. And I realized that, okay, none of that is working <laughs> for me because I ended up quitting everything, um, quit jobs, quit careers, change careers. Like I changed underwear. I mean, I've had 20 odd different careers and Mm. having a baby very late in life in my forties and becoming a stay at home mom, that was a massive, you know, shift Mm. that I never, Mm. if you had told me I'd be a stay at home mom, I would have said, you're crazy. (laughs) Um, but it was, it was the hardest and best job I've ever had. I realized that was the turning point for me when I realized that I wanted to choose whatever the next step was going to be based on what I wanted my life to look like, not what I wanted my job to look like. 
Okay. And so that was a pivotal, you know, turning point where I had to reevaluate things and make different choices. And so ultimately, if I wanted the flexibility, if I wanted to have that flexibility that I needed and wanted to be able to take care of my daughter and also have a, a career or have a life, I kind of realized the only way to achieve that was to do it on my own and not be required to report to somebody else, work for somebody else, punch a clock, sit at a, in a cubicle, work 8, 10, 12, 14 hour days, which is what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And not really have any time for myself or for my family. If I wanted that, I, I had to do it myself. And it's exhausting and not saying that I don't, I mean, I work, you know, 24 hour days now instead right. of, you're, when you're an entrepreneur, you are always working. You never have a day off. There's no weekends. Right. There's no nights. It's, it's something I've had to learn and I've had to kind of build in, but it's, you can move it around. Right. You can work you can do it in the same room with your kid. Yes, you know exactly. you can. Exactly. It it doesn't have to be eight to six. Exactly, it can be any eight to eight thirty, and then nine to eleven, and then right six to seven, and you know it's it's split up into chunks. And right. you know, I was actually I was listening to a podcast the other day, um, Jenna Kutcher's podcast, The Gold Digger oh, yeah. Podcast, which I love. I love her. I think she's great. Yeah, um, she's great. And, it was a recent episode and I love this concept. It was the concept of making the shift between work-life balance, mm-hmm. which is not attainable mm-hmm. to work-life integration. Mm-hmm. And how do you integrate your life with your work? If that's mm-hmm. something that you desire, some people mm-hmm. want to put up a firewall and keep it separate. And others of us, especially entrepreneurs, we want to integrate it such that you can flow back and forth between your life and your work and your kiddos know what you're doing and they see you working and they see mom being successful, but also being there and being present. And that is something that I'm proud of. And that was not easy to achieve. And being an entrepreneur is not easy. Being a physician and transitioning physicians are, we're notoriously terrible entrepreneurs, except my husband. He's like a natural entrepreneur and comes to him like, you know, do it in his sleep. But, um, but yeah, you definitely, you learn a lot Mm -hmm. along the way. Mm -hmm. Did you see the show Severance on Apple TV plus? Oh my God. We're in the middle of watching it. It's so good. <laughs> yes. So you talk about putting up a fire a firewall between. I mean, that's an extreme version, but I think that that is so interesting. That that is, you know, and no spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it, but that is an that is basically taking it to the the biological extreme of yeah. work life separation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Truly, and yeah, I think entrepreneurs don't want to do that. You know, because we can't. We, yeah. we can't separate. I mean, I guess, sure, if you are an entrepreneur who has a physical store that you can go to, then there's a chance that you can separate work from life. But and you're still even calls then, and emails right. and after hours and, oh, right. the, there's a pipe that burst or whatever. You right. know, there's always going to be something, right? Exactly. But if you're like us and you are an online entrepreneur, there is no separation. We can get to the point where we say, okay, (laughs) yeah, exactly. You know, eventually, you know, when we're huge, then we could say, all right, I'm working four days a week. 
And maybe like, I have a team and they'll work other days or, okay, I'm so big. They'll all work only four days a week. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's what Amy Porterfield does. But yeah, but yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. I try, I definitely do structure my week in certain ways and I don't, I actually yes. don't see clients on Mondays or Fridays. And I yep. have set that up purposefully because yes. it's just too hectic with everything else. Those are my kind of more my office days and my days with my kiddo yep. and figuring the week out and wrapping the week up and being able to take breaks. And, and I concentrate yep. all my clients midweek and it works yep. for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, yep. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a juggling act. Exactly. Act, Cause you've got so many balls that you're keeping right. in the air and you gotta, you gotta keep them going. And sometimes you yeah. gotta drop a few. Right. And right. Yeah. Yep. And I, I also I heard recently, what was it? A quote, I'm in a couple of physician groups and physician mom groups and, and that balancing act of being a physician and being a mom and being a stay at home mom, being mm. working full-time, part-time entrepreneur. I mean, it's a lot. And someone said, you know, you've got all these balls in the air and you're going to drop some. You got to figure out which ones are glass and which ones mm. are rubber. Oh, Don't that's drop perfect. The glass ones. Yeah. If the glass ones are like your health your family, you know, your mental and physical health, your, your marriage, maybe your kid, your very, the very, very, very top things. And the other things, you know, Oh, your house is a mess. Well, so what? That's, that's okay. You know, that's perfect. Yeah. And yeah, as an entrepreneur with all those things, yeah, I also do theme days and batching, but if I don't, I don't, Oh yeah. Yeah. But if I don't finish something during that batching time on that theme day, I'm not going to just let it go until the next theme day. I'm going to finish it on, you know, the weekend or whenever sooner than the next theme day, you know, I, I just am. And I love what I do right now. I'm not getting burnt out. So, you know, and I am watching. I just did a retreat this past weekend, went on an Ayurvedic retreat. So that was oh, awesome. I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah. The last time I went on a retreat was in 2018. Oh. And it was, I went to Nicaragua on a yoga retreat and that's when everything changed for me. My whole life was oh. when I, you know, I was actually physically really ill. I was about to have surgery. I oh. was burnt out. I had no idea what the next step was with my career. My kiddo was a lot younger and mm-hmm. there was just so many demands. And she was about to start kindergarten, I think, at that mm. point. It was, it was a wow. really difficult time. And that was when I really just decided to do the whole entrepreneur thing and the health coaching yeah. thing. And, and it really took off from there. Oh. That's yeah, great. So it was thanks to that retreat. I was, yeah. And yeah. I saw so I need to go on another one, I think. I think I need to do another one. Yeah, I think so. Maybe done. So how did you get involved with Beauty Counter? Yeah, so crazy story. You know, um, people often say to me, you know, you're a physician. And why do you care about makeup? Oh, my God. It's so weird. And I say, well, why wouldn't I is probably the better question to ask. Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't all of us care mm-hmm. about what's in our makeup, our personal care products, what we're putting on our skin, our largest organ every single day. So 
I came to Beauty Counter kind of in a backwards fashion. I was, you know, in my mid forties and now I'm in my fifties and, um, and love, love my skin, love the way I look. And, but I didn't at the time I was like, gosh, I look like crap and I'm look like a mom zombie and look so everyone's always like, Oh, you look so tired. And I'm like, Hey, oh, God. cause when you have a toddler and little kid, yes. you are tired, especially when you have yeah. a toddler in your mid forties, you, you're tired. Yeah. So I knew I wanted something. I wanted something, you know, to step up my skincare routine. I wasn't doing anything. I mean, I was washing my face with water, maybe using a cream. I don't know. I was using brands that I thought were healthy because they had good marketing, there's a lot of marketing that goes on. There's a lot of greenwashing and you have to really be an expert and, you know, get a PhD in label reading to figure this all out. So I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't read labels when it comes to my personal care stuff. I assume if it's on the shelves, it's safe, right? Right. FDA and, or who, sure, yeah. Right? Yep. No. Not so much. So no. then I just, a friend introduced me to Beauty Counter. I love the products. And then she said, you know, you should really do this because I think you'd be really great at educating and advocating. And you're so political. It's like, hmm, that's true. This was in 2018. <laughs> so I was very political in 2018. And, you know, you're a physician and what better person to get this message out there? And I was like, huh, well, what message is it that I'm getting out there and tell me more? And so when I learned that in fact, the products that are out there are not regulated in the U.S. In other countries, they're highly regulated. So in the EU, they ban about 1,400 ingredients, harmful oh. ingredients from products. In the U.S., it's 30. Until oh. recently, it was 11. Wow. Yeah, it gets better. Wow. Better. It gets worse. The last time there was a major federal update to a federal law governing the beauty industry, the multi-billion dollar beauty industry was in, take a guess of the year of when there was last uh, a federal update. I don't know. A decade I'm gonna... or a year. Just go for it. Okay. The 1980s. That's a good Is guess. too far? Let me guess 80s. No, hun. 1938. What? Oh. Yes. 1938, and there have been 85,000 chemicals developed in that time, less than 1% of which have been tested for human health and safety. So when I learned this, uh, it lit a fire under me. I was like, okay, this is not okay. The FDA also has no recall ability, oversight and no recall ability. So when there's E. coli and lettuce, you know, they take it off the shelves. When there's asbestos found in eyeshadow that's marketed to children at a very popular chain, you know, Claire's at the malls. So Mm -hmm. they have found asbestos in the eyeshadow that they were selling not once, but twice. Really? FDA cannot recall that. They can simply tell the company, you should probably do something about it. So there are thousands of little girls out there right now wearing asbestos on their eyes which is so, uh, eyelids. I mean, soaking they, they, in. Claire's event did the right thing and they did okay. take it off the shelves. You know, so the okay. companies eventually will do the right thing. But that's, again, it's poor smart. Like maybe, something. maybe they'll do the right thing. Maybe. I mean, they don't always. We don't even right. know. I mean, you won't even right. know. So here's another gem. So there is a fragrance loophole with the FDA that we're actually 
lobbying for and working against. And it's, we've actually passed a bill in California, the uh, Fragrance and Flavor Right to Know Act. And we're working on that on the federal level. So the ingredient, if you look at a product, any product that you have, so skin cream or shampoo or whatever, and it has the word fragrance on it or Mm -hmm. perfume or parfum, you know, Mm, that word can conceal hundreds to thousands of ingredients because the FDA allows that labeling practice because it is a trade secret. And the company says, well, we don't want to disclose what's in our fragrance. So we're trying to stop that from being allowed to happen. Um, So yeah, so I always tell people when you're looking to make a change, first thing you do, look at your products. If it has fragrance in it, don't buy it. Awesome. Or don't buy it. Yeah. Or, you know, savvier companies now are listing out what's in it and you can ask them what's in it. Some are saying, you know, it's it's these natural oils or natural fruit compounds and, and floral botanicals. And that's okay as long as they list it out and as long as you can verify it. But I mean, as consumers, the onus is really falling on the consumer right now. And the onus should really be on the companies and the manufacturers yeah. and the government needs to step in and protect us because it's not happening adequately. Yeah. So that's what we, so that's, that's really the main reason why I joined Beauty Counter. When I found out that as a company, the top consultants didn't get a pink car or whatever, they got to go to Washington DC and lobby senators and members of Congress. Wow. I said, I went into that and I'm going to do that one day. And and you a week just ago, did. I did. Yes. I just got back from Washington, D.C., where I had the most amazing opportunity to go to Capitol Hill, meet with senators and representatives. I got to meet with Lisa Murkowski's office, mm-hmm. Diane Feinstein, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, these were like heavy hitters. And they are all staunch supporters of all the bills that we're putting forward. We've got these fragrance bills, these labeling bills, these the de- defining natural in the beauty industry. Mm. We have a bill on that because that needs to happen. Because right mm. now, a lot of these terms are just buzzwords that have no legal weight behind them. Natural, organic, hypoallergenic, all those things, green, clean, all those things, they have no weight. They're marketing terms. Wow. So, and then we also have some bills on the floor about um, PFAS or the yeah. the perfluoral chlorinated polyalkyl substances. Um, it's the hormone disruptors. Forever chemicals. The yeah. Forever chemicals and the hormone disruptors. Yeah. And so we got to get those out of our products. We were yeah. getting them out of plastics and things like mm-hmm. you know, the BPA and children's toys. We've passed some of those bills, but we need to get it out of our personal care products as well. Yeah. And from an environmental standpoint, it's very significant because where do these products go in the end? I mean, Water, they go down the green, right? fish, back Water into our bodies. Groundwater, yeah. right. everything. Yeah. It's like the ecosystem Functional yeah. medicine, it all come, it was all interconnected. So nothing happens in isolation. And it's simply not okay to have these toxic chemicals. And, you know, the counter argument is, oh, well, they're, they've been tested to be safe in small amounts. Well, they've also We're never not... been tested in conjunction with other mm-hmm. chemicals. Mm-hmm. And the additive effect of, let's say you use, so the average woman uses 11 products per day on their skin 
on their body. It's totaling over 127 chemicals. Um, that's just on average and, and yeah. it's different for different people. And it's all actually, so communities of color are disproportionately affected yeah. because the products that they use and the products that are marketed to them are the most toxic on the market. Mm-hmm. So like the hair relaxers, the skin lighteners, yeah, it's not okay. And so there's a no. disproportionate burden, chemical burden that we're also addressing. And also salon workers, um, oh. bear disproportionate, um, level of burden as well. So we're working on those, you know, um, specific populations and communities and trying to make a change. And so it's been an honor to work with Beauty Counter. We are an education and advocacy first company. We also have Mm -hmm. glorious products that are on my face right now. And um, yeah, I think you've tried some of them too. And I did. I've got some on right now too. Yeah. And, and so it's been just such an incredible experience and opportunity. And I think to uplift women and to give them that turnkey business opportunity, because let me tell you, I joined Beauty Counter at the same time that I started my own business. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, some days I was just like, you know what? I just want to work Beauty Counter Mm -hmm. because it's so much easier to have all of these things provided for you, to have the website provided, to have the supply chain provided, to have the shipping and delivery provided, to have all the assets and things provided. I was like, damn, this is so much easier (laughs) than building it all from zero. So it is a nice, it is a really nice, and the women who do Beauty Counter, you know, I thought, oh, I'm not going to get along with any of these women. They're all going to be bitches. They are the nicest, (gasps) sweetest, most passionate, generous, like they are, they have become some of my closest friends. And some of them I had never met. Most, mm-hmm. 99% of them I've never met in person. Got mm-hmm. to meet a bunch of them in D.C. And that was oh. like, that was such a treat. And I made a bunch of new friends that I never would have. And we just have this, this thing in common of, you know, we care. And mm-hmm. we want to create a better world for, for our kids. Mm-hmm. And for ourselves. And for our yeah. friends. And our families. And our, our parents. I mean, we just see... There were too many personal stories of disease Mm. and cancer and autoimmune disease and infertility and loss. And, you know, we shared those with our elected officials and there were Mm. tears sometimes in the offices and Mm. because these stories are impactful and we all know people that they've, that this has happened to. And so it affects all of us and it matters to all of us. And so that's, you know, that's why I do what I do. And I feel like it really seamlessly integrates with the functional medicine, at first, I was kind of like, oh, how do I bring these together? Well, if you're eating kale and you're exercising, yep. but you're putting garbage, formaldehyde and whatnot on your face, carcinogens yep. and endocrine disruptors, yep. you're sabotaging your own health. And so yeah. I do try to guide people in that arena as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that fits perfectly. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for going to DC on my behalf. On it was my a dream come behalf. true. Yeah. <laughs> really oh, I was. know. Yeah. I remember the lead up to it. And yeah, you were. I was pumped. just, yeah, I was, it was so empowering. And, and the, the one thing that came, became clear in these meetings was that we sort of think that as, you know, ordinary citizens, we don't have a lot of power mm-hmm. and that we often feel voiceless and powerless. And well, what can we really do? All this stuff takes place behind closed doors, you know, in the room where it happens in DC, mm-hmm. but it's not true. What we heard time and time again from our elected officials was that we are what matters. 
Our mm-hmm. voices matter and that you just need to call and email and write. And it takes in one room, the statistic was it takes 20 touches for something to land on the desk mm-hmm. of a politician to be brought to the level of their attention. So whether that's an, a text campaign, an email, letter writing, a phone call, as constituents, they are listening to what we have to say. And we, as, we the people, hold the power and have the power to make a difference. And that was really inspiring, I found. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think that that's something that people don't know. So, so I'll put in a plug for our text campaign with Beauty yeah. Counter. So anyone can do this in the U.S. You just simply text the word Better Beauty, um, all one word, to 52886. Okay. And what that oh. will do is that will trigger a campaign that will then send you, um, it'll send you a text with a link. It will ask for your zip code and then it will create an automated letter that will be sent to your house rep, to your senators to say, this is an issue that I care about. I care about, you know, laws regarding beauty and personal care products. I care mm-hmm. about women's health. I want to make a difference. And it's yes. a really neat thing. It's really easy. You don't have to write the letter. It's all done for you. And anyone can That's do great. it. So, yeah. That's in the show notes and on my website. Excellent. Yeah. Easy to do. Anyone can be an armchair activist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is easy today. So yeah. just yeah. take action. Right. Fabulous. Right. And I think that, you know, I think sometimes it gets overwhelming and you think, oh, there's there's so much to be done. I can't do it, you know? And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, if not us, then who? Yeah. Very true. Every one of us can make a difference then. And that 20 touches, that isn't that much. No. You can just text that 20 times and you're good. (laughs) (laughs) And you've just raised that issue. And we often, so in, in some of the meetings, we would often say, you know, how did you become aware of this issue? And they said, well, constituents brought it to our attention or mm. we had a meeting with some constituents with a lobbying group or something, or, you know, and it was just, just regular people um, asking That's for amazing. these meetings. That's great. Very cool. Yeah. So how can people get in touch and, and work with you? You do work remotely with people? I do. So yeah, I actually only work remotely. I don't Ooh. see, yeah, I don't see patients in person. I don't have a physical office. This is my beautiful physical office. Um, nice. And so, yeah, I, I'm uh, astonishingly like, or happily pretty full right now. Uh, I've gotten a lot cool. of inquiries lately and a lot of folks interested in coaching. And it's it's interesting because when I did my training back in 2018, we were always told, you know, you got to be out there educating and, and telling people what you do because no one is searching for health coach on the internet. Well, I can tell you that that yeah. is not true. <laughs> exactly. They certainly are. But I think that has shifted in the last five years. Yeah. Uh, even in the yeah. last few years that like, cause it is blowing up in terms of yes. people saying, I am looking for this. I yeah. found you online. I, I searched for functional medicine. I'm like, my goodness, that's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, but I still have some openings. And so on my website there, which is www.wildlilacwellness.com. And I know you have that in the show notes. Um, the link to that, there is also a link to 
a free consult. So I offer free consultations um, with anybody awesome. if you're interested. So you can book that. You can sign up for my newsletter and be kept up to date about different things that I offer. So even if my coaching is full, I think and have plans in the works in June, um, probably after the reunion, because I'm planning oh. on indulging there, um, nice. of offering a five-day detox. So I love doing these five-day detox programs. They're quick. They're easy. They're not onerous in terms of like, I don't make you cut out a million things. We do it together. I give you all the recipes. There's going to be like a private group for it. And and it's, it's a lot of bang for buck. You get a lot of results quickly. People lose weight. They feel better. They've got more energy. Um, and it's a, I think it's a perfect way to transition into summer because we all mm. want to, you know, put on our sundresses and yeah. shorts and bikinis and be ready for that and just feel good in our bodies. Not just weight, you know, I'm not a weight loss coach, um, but just feeling really good about ourselves yeah. and feeling um, grounded and energized. So, so that's coming up. And yes, I offer free skincare and beauty consults also. Mm. Um, so I'll do an analysis of your skin. We do like a zoom meeting. I can make recommendations. I can send you some free samples. Uh, I can color match folks like what, you know, what Ooh. lipstick looks good on you. Nice. Like I can help with that too. So cool. yeah, I think those are a couple ways to work with me and always follow along on social media, on Instagram. I'm wild Lalic wellness and yeah. So lots of different ways. I also have yeah. a private women's Facebook group on, on cool. clean living, stuff like that. So cool. Yeah. That's a great group. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This is yeah, fabulous. So great, so great yeah. to chat with you. And I can't wait to see you in a few weeks. <sighs> Me too. Yes. And we'll need that detox afterwards. I yeah. think. <laughs> try to you know i'll pace myself just have a couple yeah. minutes here and there but you know yeah. we're gonna need pace to pace ourselves but yes it's a big reunion so yes it is a big one yeah. yeah and there are events all day every day every night not nice drinking at all of them but no, you know no. there's paneling we're doing panels yes yes yeah. yeah, I'm on. I'm on a second panel too. I don't even, I don't even know which one that is. It's one about. I think it's one about um, career shifts, pivots. I oh know. yes, yeah. yeah. Cool. So I'm excited for that. I, Fun. I love to talk. So. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see you there. And thank you yeah. again for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. I felt like I was almost in your living room, your gorgeous yes. living room, chatting. With thank you. you. So. Yep. <laughs> All right. So y'all be sure to check out all of Zaria's links. Everything is on the website in the show notes, YouTube right below. So go there. Uh, wherever you're listening to this, please leave a positive review and subscribe. If you're on YouTube, please like and follow. Leave comments on the website. I'd love to hear from you. And I will see you next time on the Marketing Chat Podcast. Thanks. Thanks.